Acts chapter 10. Today we come to the remarkable story of the conversion of Cornelius, the first Gentile convert to the church. There are times in history when walls of hostility and separation that divide people come tumbling down. And and when those walls come tumbling down, it's a remarkable and wonderful thing. Uh, I remember seeing one of those walls come down when I was a teenager. Uh, It was the year 1989, it was November, and it was the Berlin Wall came down, separating West Berlin and East Berlin, and I had grown up uh, under the Cold War ever since I was a kid. You know, it was always the East versus West. We always lived under this fear of World War III and a nuclear holocaust, and so when that wall came down, it wasn't just a wall in Berlin, it was the wall between, you know, it was the Iron Curtain that came down, it was East and West no longer separated, it was uh, Russia and America, it was freedom versus tyranny and, and communism, and all that came down. And before it used to be on one side of the wall there were guards and dogs, and on the other side of the wall there was graffiti, and then to see people standing on that wall and climbing up over it and embracing and taking sledgehammers to it. It was, it was crazy. I thought, wow, I thought this is just how it was. In my parents' generation, they saw another wall come down. It was an invisible wall that separated the front of the bus from the back of the bus. It was a wall that, that told some people they couldn't go to certain drinking fountains or certain toilets or certain restaurants, all because of something as stupid as the amount of pigment in one's skin. And one ethnic, one's ethnic background. I mean, how preposterous. And yet it's amazing what we can make walls out of. And those walls have come down and, and structures have come down and maybe still need to come down further. Maybe my children's generation will see a further crumbling of, of walls of racism. Maybe you've seen a wall come down in interpersonal relationships. Uh, someone that you were really on the outs with, and then some kind of amazing reconciliation happened that you never would have imagined. Maybe, maybe a marriage put back together. Maybe a friendship lost or an enemy who becomes a friend. These, these are the incredible things that happen sometimes. Well, this morning, as we look at Acts chapter 10, we are looking at a wall coming down that is perhaps the most significant wall collapse in all of human history. It is a wall that that when it fell, it's continuing, its fall 2,000 years ago is continuing to echo and rumble today. The effects of it hasn't stopped yet. And of course, the ironic thing is that it's a wall that probably most of us here don't ever think about. You know, we're going to study a passage today that most of us are like, I don't even know that happened maybe. It's not one that we reflect on, and yet it's one that has tremendous significance for our lives today and for our faith. And that is the wall that separated Jew and Gentile. A wall that separated the people of God, Israel, God's holy people, from the unclean, uncircumcised, immoral, idol-worshiping Gentile nations. Because here in Acts chapter 10, we see that, that this wall is coming down, and now the, the nations are being welcomed into the people of God. And perhaps the most amazing thing in the story is that it's not the Jewish people who determined to bring the wall down, nor was it the Gentile people who decided to batter their way in through the wall. 
It's God himself who brings down this wall. Look at book of Acts chapter 10. Chapter 10 is a pivotal chapter in the book of Acts. It's kind of a a hinge. It's a watershed moment. Up to this point in the book of Acts, the the spread of the gospel of Jesus, the message of Jesus, has mainly been among uh, Jewish peoples. And uh, it's Jewish people who have becoming Christians. And then eventually the Samaritans. But they're still kind of like quasi-Jewish, sort of. But now there's this moment where the gospel is going to go to the Gentiles, and Gentile people are going to start coming in to uh, faith in Christ. And so from this point on, from chapter 11 on, the rest of the book of Acts is about the spread of the gospel to the Gentile nations. So, so that's the transition that's taking place here in this book. So the, the book starts in Jerusalem and it ends in Rome. That's how the book of Acts goes. It starts in one great city and ends in another, from the capital of Judaism to the capital of the Gentile world. So this story falls into three main sections. Um, The first section is verses 1 to 23, the first scene of this story. And I'm going to call this section the conversion of Peter, right? So even though the story is about the conversion of this guy named Cornelius who's a Gentile, actually there's another conversion that has to happen first. Peter has to have his heart and his mind converted because in Peter's heart and mind, there's a wall. You know, he's a a good Jewish person who's not supposed to associate with Gentiles under the Old Testament, and now he's supposed to go and take the gospel to them. So before he can do that, before the Gentiles can be converted, his own brain and heart have to be converted to see what it is that God is doing. So let's look at the passage. Here's the first scene, the conversion of Peter the internal walls in him. It says in chapter 10, verse 1, at Caesarea there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what is known as the Italian regiment. He and his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. One day at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? He asked. The angel answered, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now, send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon, who is called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants. He told them everything that had happened and sent them to Joppa. So the story starts out in a city known as Caesarea, which if you're in Jerusalem and you went about 60 miles to the north uh, west along the Mediterranean coast, you'd find this Roman city. I mean, you can imagine that it's Roman. The name is Caesarea. So it's a very pro-Roman city. And here's this guy named Cornelius. He's a Gentile. He is a centurion, a soldier in charge of 100 men in a Roman legion. But the thing that's unique about him is that he's very sympathetic to Judaism. He's, he's very sympathetic to the God of Israel. Uh, He hasn't fully converted yet. He's something known as a God-fearer, which would be a Gentile who's kind of sympathetic to the religion of Israel. Um, And so he he hasn't converted totally. He hasn't been circumcised. He hasn't taken up all the Jewish customs. But but he's sympathetic. He's a friend of the Jews. The the Jewish people look upon him favorably because he's been kind to them and he's been generous to, uh, to them. If there's a wall separating Jew and Gentile, Cornelius' house is like, right up against the wall. He's, he's close. He's, his heart is open to them. And so God speaks to him, and God says, I want you to send, go down to Joppa and get Peter. 
Joppa would be about 30 miles south along the Mediterranean coast, probably a, a day and, day's journey on horseback, day and a half on foot. He says, go get Peter. And so Cornelius, like a good soldier, obeys orders. And so he gets his servants. He says, go get Peter. Here's what happened. Get him for me. And so God is already beginning to break down the wall. This is the first crack. It's a vision. But it's not the only vision because Peter, way down in Joppa, 30 miles south, he has a vision. Look at verse 9. About noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet being let down by heaven by its four four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles of the earth and birds of the air. Then a voice told him, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I've never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. Well, Cornelius gets a pretty clear vision. Peter gets a very weird vision. You know, Cornelius just gets orders. Go get Peter. Got it. Peter gets a sheet full of animals, and he's told to make this huge barbecue or something, kill and eat. You know, what is going on here? There's a sheet that comes down in the vision, and then it's, you look inside the sheet, it's sort of held up by four corners, and you look inside, and, and, and there's all these animals. And Peter's told to go kill animals and eat animals. Like, what is going on here? And Peter's like, no, I can't do it. Why won't Peter want to eat the animals that are in the blanket? You know, well, it's because it's like not kosher animals. These are unclean animals that Jewish people were not supposed to eat. You know, it's like pig in a blanket. You know what I'm saying? You're not supposed to eat what's in this blanket. When, when God first called together his people Israel, he gave them certain food laws. He, he said, look, there's certain foods you're allowed to eat, certain foods you're not allowed to eat. And he made certain animals off limits, you know, like pigs and like camels and birds of prey and reptiles. And, and the reason is not because those foods are bad and the others are good. He, he was trying to set his people Israel apart from the nations, He didn't want them worshiping the gods of the nations and following the Gentiles. He wanted them to worship him. And so in addition to his laws and morality and the worship of God, God set up a lot of ceremonial kind of um, markers that would identify the people of Israel as distinct. So even when they were eating and they were thinking about what they could eat and what they couldn't eat, it was just a way of reinforcing to them, hey, you're not like the nations. You're my special people. And so the food was part of that. It was a symbolism of their separatedness to God. So Peter's whole life, he's grown up eating kosher because that's what God told the Israelites to do. And now God says, all right, time for some pork. And Peter's like, what? I've never eaten that. What are you talking about? I mean, could you imagine the, like, the visceral revulsion? Like, especially when it gets to food that, that maybe your whole life you've been told is off limits. It must be like, like if you went to a potluck here and I brought a casserole and I was like, you've got to try this. This is earthworm casserole. It's so good. You can't even taste the earthworm. It's like amazing. It just tastes like chicken. You'll love it. You'd be like, uh, I'll set. Thanks. I'm, I don't care how good it tastes. 
I don't care if you put bacon in it. (laughs) I'm not eating earthworms. That's gross. And so Peter has that kind of reaction. God, that's, I would, I've never done this. But God says in verse 15, do not call anything impure that God has made clean. If you have a pencil, underline that, circle it, put a star by it, make arrows pointing to it. That's a huge statement that the same God who declared to Israel, these foods are unclean, these foods are clean, that same God now in the new covenant of Jesus is saying all foods are clean because God can declare them clean. Because ultimately, I think we understand this, those food laws were ceremonial and symbolic of the need for inner heart cleanliness. And we'll talk a little bit more about that in a minute. But now that now true cleanness has come through Jesus. Jesus has washed away our sins, like we just sang in all those songs. And so the, the real thing has come, and now that the symbolism of food is no longer needed because the reality to which all of those Old Testament laws pointed has finally arrived. And so now, you know, it's clean. You can eat those things. Now, why did God have to send Peter that vision? I mean, okay, great, so now Peter can you know, eat other things. Is, is that the point? No, no, no. This is why it's important. Because who's about to come knocking at his door? Three Gentiles. And they're going to ask him to come over and stay with them. Right? So three visions, and then suddenly at the door, three Gentiles. Hey, would you come to our house with Cornelius? Normally, Peter would have been like, I can't. I can't risk becoming unclean. But now he's given permission. This is what Peter makes of it. Look down at verse 27. Jumping ahead a little bit, we'll get here eventually. But this is the second part of the story. This is when Cornelius comes to faith. But look at verse 27. Eventually Peter gets there, and this is what he says to Cornelius. Actually, sorry, verse 28. Peter says to them, You are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with a Gentile or visit him. But God has shown me that I should not call any man impure or unclean. There it is. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. So this is why Peter has the vision. is so that Peter can get past the mental uh, walls that would normally keep him from going there. Like, how, if so far only the Jewish people have the gospel, and the Jewish people don't feel like they're allowed to talk to the Gentiles... How's the gospel ever going to get to the Gentiles? God's plan has to move forward of saving all peoples. Jesus is the savior of the whole world, not just the Jewish people. And so to get there, God has to kind of dismantle Peter's understanding and let him know that there is a new state of affairs. Hey, Peter, with the resurrection of Jesus, the world has changed. And among that is the fact that we are under a new covenant in Jesus with different ways of... uh, Approaching and defining the people of God. God's people are no longer defined by circumcision or what they eat. The people of God are now defined by the Holy Spirit and faith in Jesus Christ. It's a new uh, set of of, uh, conditions for being among God's people. It's whoever has faith in Christ. Well, anyway, Peter gets the visit, verse 17. While Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. They called out asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the Spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you, so get up and go downstairs. 
Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. You know, I love how just straight up the Holy Spirit has to be. Like, listen, Peter, three guys are here. Go. It's okay. The vision. It'll all make sense. Just go. I'm doing something. God is bringing the wall down. But first he has to bring the wall down inside of Peter's heart and his own understanding about the state of affairs. So verse 21, Peter went down and said to the men, I'm the one you're looking for. Why have you come? And the men replied, we've come from Cornelius the centurion. He's a righteous and God-fearing man who's respected by all the Jewish people. A holy angel told him to uh, have you come to his house so that he could hear what you have to say. Then Peter invited the men into the house to be his guests. This is Peter's conversion. The walls have to come down in his own understanding. You know, we live a long ways away from this passage. This, this story took place almost 2,000 years ago. A lot of time has passed. A lot has changed. And you think about the church today, it's mostly Gentile. You know, back then when the church was first founded, it was mostly Jewish. It was all Jewish at this point in the story and some Samaritans. And, and so now the big deal is like Gentiles may come into the people of God. But, but now we live so far on the other side of that. You know, you look at the world today and you say, who makes up the church in the world today? Well, it's Africans. It's Latinos, South American. It's Southeast Asian. It's Chinese. It's European. You know, that's where, where God's people are. The church is, is mostly Gentile converts. The nations have come into the people of God through faith in Christ. Um, and, and the whole like Jewish-Gentile thing inside the church is really not causing the kind of waves it caused back then. You know, we have members of our church who are raised in a Jewish family. And it's kind of like, well, great. You know, there's, there's not like a big tension in our church because of that. We, we have uh, people in our church who are raised Jewish, but they came to see that Jesus is the Messiah of Israel that he's the one from their Hebrew scriptures that was promised, that all of their, their Jewish heritage was pointing to Jesus, whether it's the Passover they did every year or Yom Kippur or all of those things were pointing to Jesus. And now they have Jesus. So it's like you know, becoming a Christian for them isn't like leaving their Judaism. It's more like the fulfillment of their Judaism, Judaism coming full, full circle to its ultimate conclusion. And, and some, some folks like that are in our church, and they're members of our church, and it's like not even an issue because we, we have Jesus and that's what we focus ourselves on as Christians, whether you're raised Jew or Gentile. So in some ways, you know, we read a story like this and we're like, huh, well, it's kind of interesting. Um, it's, it's, in some ways, it's kind of hard to relate. And yet there's at least one way in which I think nothing has changed and that is the capacity of our hearts, of my heart, to create walls between who I might reach out to and who might, might not reach out to. Boundaries of cleanness and uncleanness. At least Peter had an excuse. At least his boundary was based upon the Old Testament. And, but mine is just based on my, my sinful sort of, I, I don't know what, not wanting to, to love people with the same love of God that, that I've been loved with. I find that in my heart there is a, an inner Jonah you know the story of Jonah? Oh, Jonah, go take my message of repentance to the evil Assyrians. And Jonah says, I don't want to go, Lord, because if I tell them to repent, there's this little chance they're going to repent. And I know if they repent, you'll forgive them. And I don't want them forgiven. I want them nuked. 
He wanted God to destroy them. He didn't want them to repent, so Jonah ran, and then, you know, he gets in the boat, and then the fish, and, and the fish spits him out on the shore, and then he goes there, and then they do repent, and then Jonah's mad. This is what I told you would happen. You know, there's just certain people that, that we might put, that, that we would like to see perhaps put beyond the boundaries, or, or, or maybe even, maybe it's not quite that harsh. Maybe it's more like, I believe God could save all kinds of people. I just don't personally want to be his agent in that process. You know, like I believe it on paper, but don't send them to my door knocking and asking me to come. You know, what if someone did, knocked on your door and invited you over for dinner? Or someone at school invited you over to their house to hang out? Or someone at work invited you out to lunch with them and um, something like that? And, and, and maybe even it's like a kind of a, a mini Cornelius moment where, where part of what they want to talk about is faith issues because they know that, you know, you're, you're religious and they kind of want to process that with you. So maybe it's like even that kind of invitation. And, you know, what would you say if someone invited you to talk about that? Well, you might say, like, great, this is awesome. Pastor's been talking about engage at church all year, how to engage people with the message of Jesus. What an opportunity. Okay. But what if the person who knocks on your door is a devout Muslim and the meal they want to bring you to is the beginning of Ramadan at their house? Would you go? What if, what if the person who, who invites you over is a woman who lives down the street and she wants you to come over and have dinner with her and, and her wife and the child that she had via artificial insemination? What if it's a person in your apartment building who wants you to come over and watch the Pats game, but you're pretty sure he's a drug dealer? What if it's a doctor? Ah, finally, a doctor. Somebody upstanding. But then you find that where they practice medicine is at a Planned Parenthood clinic. What if it's a family from another country that you're pretty sure is here illegally? Where are the boundary lines that maybe on paper we believe God can reach anybody, but, but we have lines in our hearts? God has called us to make disciples of all nations. Jesus went with all kinds of people who seem to be off limits because we're all sinners in need of a Savior. And we're the ones whom God has entrusted with the message. And sometimes that may mean crossing some boundaries that that might seem distasteful to us for some reason, for all kinds of reasons. And so God has called Peter to cross this boundary, and God has helped Peter because this is an important one. This is the first time the gospel is really going to the Gentiles. Well, that leads us to the next scene, which is verses 23 to 48. 23 to 48, we had the conversion of Peter. The walls come down there. And now we'll call verses 23 to 48 the conversion of Cornelius. The conversion of Cornelius and his Gentile cronies. There's a mass conversion of Gentiles here. So here's the story now, verse 23, the next day Peter started out from there uh, with them and some of the brothers from Joppa went along. So Peter brings along some of his fellow Jewish Christians. The following day he arrived in Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. But Peter made him get up, stand up, he said, I'm only a man myself. Talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. 
He said to them, you're well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with a Gentile or visit him, but God has shown me that I should not call any man impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. May I ask why you sent for me? Cornelius answered, four days ago I was in my house praying at this hour at three in the afternoon. Suddenly a man in shining clothes stood before me and said, Cornelius, God has heard your prayer and remembered your gifts to the poor. Send to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. He is a guest in the home of Simon the Tanner, who lives by the, by the sea. So I sent for you immediately, and it was good of you to come. Now, we're all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. I just love Cornelius. I think he's my favorite character in this story. I love his heart. You know, God says, hey, go get Peter. Well, great. Yes, sir. Like a good soldier. Sends guys off. And, and when Peter comes back, there's Cornelius. He's ready. You know, he's got his friends there. He's invited everyone over. Peter comes in. He, like, worships Peter. Peter's like, stop that. You know, he doesn't know. He's a Gentile. I mean, you know, maybe, he's a, maybe Peter's a god or something. Who knows? But so Peter's like, oh, okay. So th- then Cornelius is like, all right, we're here. Here's all our friends. Now, whatever God wants you to say, we're ready to listen. I just love his heart. Whatever God wants to say, we're ready to listen. Just talk to us. We're ready to hear everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. And that's the posture we should be in to hear from God. Whatever God wants to tell me, God, I'm ready to listen. That's how how I should be every time I open my Bible to read it in the morning or in the afternoon or wherever I do a daily Bible reading is I should read the Bible not just to kind of get through my reading for the day, but just to say, God, whatever it is you want to say, I'm ready to listen. That should be our posture when we come into church, when I come into church, you know, as we come to sing and to hear sermons and to hear reading of God's Word, not to come in analytically, but to come in open-heartedly. Lord, what do you want to say to me today? When you go to your growth group on Wednesday night or Thursday night and you hang out with some other Christians in a Bible study, I know how it is. Sometimes, you know, it's like growth group and you're, you're like, oh, I'm so tired. Can't we just skip tonight? Oh, I don't really want to go. And so-and-so's there and I'm not sure if I want to be there. We need to come in and just say, Lord, we're about to study your word. Lord, tell me everything you want me to hear. My heart is open to your word. Well, not only is Cornelius ready to listen, Peter's ready to preach. The wall is coming down. The stones are falling before our eyes. Peter began to speak. He says, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts men from every nation who fear him and do what is right. Peter used to think that the only people God listened to or was concerned about were people who were among the people of Israel. But now Peter's realizing that God has concern for the salvation of people outside of Israel. And so then what does Peter do? It's time for Peter to speak. And uh, God hasn't given Peter a message. God, God didn't tell him, now when you go there, say this. So what does Peter do? Well, he preaches the gospel. You know, when you have an opening, preach the gospel. The gospel message of Jesus Christ. Peter just goes back to that. Well, let me tell you the gospel of Jesus. That's the message I have, is the good news of Jesus. Um, we, we need to be ready to preach the gospel of Jesus. Um, you know, when, when you have that opportunity to tell someone about Christ, you, you need to take it. That's where you need to go. You know, when, when someone says to you, like, so I heard, uh, you, you know, when you go to a Baptist church, 
Explain what Baptist is to me. Like, don't waste your time talking about Baptist. Who cares? Just be like oh, Baptist. Well, let me tell you what Baptist is about. It's about the gospel. Do you know what the gospel is? Yeah, I know what it is. Well, maybe I don't. Well, okay, let me tell you. Like, get to the gospel, man. Don't get sidetracked on Baptist. Talk about Jesus. Get to Baptist later, right? Or not. Talk about Jesus. Or when your friends ask you what you did this weekend at, at you know, church and you're in high school, and you, maybe you say, like, oh, I went to a youth group or I went to a winter camp with my church. What do you guys do there? You know, don't, don't actually talk about, like, the sledding or the songs you sang. Like, talk about the gospel. Well, we learned about the gospel. Do you know what the gospel is? Well, let me tell you. And so we need to know what the gospel is. Do we know the gospel? Would you be able, if you had one minute to share the gospel with somebody, would you know how to share it? Would you know what the message is, what the key parts of it are? Maybe that would be a good drill today when you're at lunch and you're kind of just reflecting maybe on the service today and, and uh, getting ready for the Pats game and you're, you know, you're not quite there, you're still reflecting on church, it's okay, and reflect on church at lunch and what you heard. This would be a good drill to do around the table. All right, let's go around. Everyone, 45 seconds, get your iPhone out, put your timer on. Give me the gospel in 45 seconds. See if you can articulate the summary of this message. Well, here's some help. Peter gives us a nice little summary of the gospel. Not that you have to say what Peter says verbatim, but you get the point, all right? So here's the gospel, verse 36. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, telling the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. There's the summary. The message is good news of peace through Jesus. Peace with God. Peace with one another through what Jesus did. Here's a little bit more. Verse 37. You know what happened throughout Judea, beginning in Galilee, after the baptism that John preached. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. Jesus came. He did miracles. He served people. He healed He taught. Most people are familiar with that, at least still today to some degree in our culture. But here we get to the nub of it, verse 39. We are witnesses to everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. This is the heart of the gospel. Jesus was crucified for our sins, and he was raised on the third day. Verse 41, he was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen, by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that Jesus, he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. So Jesus was crucified. He was buried. He was raised. He's coming again as judge and Lord. That's the news. And then here's our response. Verse 43 is is how we're supposed to respond to the good news. All the prophets testify about him that, here we go, everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. That if you believe in Jesus Christ, you will be saved, you'll be forgiven. That's the good news. You don't have to try to keep the Ten Commandments, which you can't. You, You don't have to try to keep all the kosher rules and all the laws, which nobody could fully do. There's now forgiveness of sins through faith in Jesus, whether you're Jew or Gentile. Because you see, there's a big wall that had to come down. 
you know, I said that the Jew-Gentile wall was the biggest. Actually, that one's like second biggest, you know. The biggest, that's like almost like little toothpicks compared to the biggest wall. The biggest wall of all is the wall of our sin that separates us from God. And and the judgment of God against our sin, that's the big wall that we really need to come down. We need forgiveness. Because ultimately, uncleanness is not about what you eat. It's about what's in here. That's the problem. Jesus himself taught this. Put a bookmark here in Acts, and I want you to come right back. Turn over to Mark, the Gospel of Mark, chapter 7. It's on page 998. The Gospel of Mark, chapter 7. This is super cool. Verse 14, Mark 7, 14. Here's Jesus teaching about what uncleanness and cleanness means. Look what Jesus says. Mark chapter 7, verse 14. Again, Jesus called the crowd to him and said, Listen to me, everyone, and understand this. Nothing outside a man can make him unclean by going into him. Rather, it is what comes out of a man that makes him unclean. After he had left the crowd and entered the house, his disciples asked him about the parable. They didn't get it. Are you so dull, he asked? Don't you see that nothing that enters a man from the outside can make him unclean? For it doesn't go into his heart, and it doesn't affect your soul, but it goes into the stomach and then out of the body. You eat it, and then you eliminate it. And saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean. There it is. He went on, verse 20. What comes out of a man is what makes him unclean. For from within, out of our hearts, out of our being comes evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside and make a man unclean. That's real uncleanness, and the food stuff was just a symbol of that. But let's get to the reality. It's the stuff in our hearts. And, you know, I look at that list and I say, wow, I've seen those things in my heart. I've seen those things in my attitudes and my thinking. I've seen those things in some of my words and my behavior. Have you? We're unclean before God. And if Jesus Christ comes back someday as judge and we stand before him and we have not been forgiven of this uncleanness, I can tell you we will not be welcomed into his house. Because to be in God's house, you have to be clean, but really clean. But the good news of the gospel is that God has brought down the wall of sin between us and him. We couldn't bring it down. You can't get over this wall of sin by just trying to be a better person, more spiritual, more kind, more nice, more generous, voluntary, more hours. That's not how you get past this wall. God broke through the wall. When Jesus died on the cross for us, as, as those Roman soldiers were, were hammering in the nails into Jesus' wrists, don't you see that was the hammer of God pounding away at the wall of our sin? And don't you know that as the blood was dripping from Jesus onto the ground, those quiet drips were actually a divine sledgehammer of grace pulverizing our sin? 
And don't you know that when Jesus cried out on the cross, it is finished. That was the avalanche sound of the wall crumbling to dust between us and God. And when the stone was rolled away, that was the divine hand pushing the debris of our sin away forever. So that now there is open access for anyone through Jesus to God. God has made us clean. He can make us clean. So do not call impure what God has made clean. You look at your own life perhaps and you think, man, I'm a mess. I've got so much stuff in my background. Maybe you're one of those roof, roof cave-in people at church. People like, I can't go to church. The roof will fall in. You know, you hear that line. You feel that way. You just feel like, I, I don't belong here. But if you have faith in Christ, God can make you clean. And do not call unclean what God has made clean. Or maybe you're a Christian, and you, you know Jesus has forgiven you at a certain level, but you know there's some little things in your past. Maybe it's like that one thing, that one time, that, that one part of your life that you just feel so guilty about. It comes back to haunt you, certain scenes, certain things you've done, think, things that you, you feel like you can't even tell anybody. Maybe like your spouse doesn't even know, your best friend doesn't even know. They're just humiliating moments of sin where you know you were just really not doing what God wanted and it's embarrassing and it's painful and that memory haunts you even as a Christian and you think, well, you know, I know God forgives people, but what about that one thing? Ugh. Do not call impure what God has made clean. You are clean in Christ. So do not call it impure because Jesus Christ has torn down the wall of our sin. The wall of divine judgment that is, was going to crash down on us has been removed. The sin has been cleared. That's the gospel. That's the good news. And that's all Peter's got. And that's all we've got. And that's all we need as we tell that simple message and so Peter's sharing the gospel, and that's when the conversion happens. Peter isn't using any tricky technique. He's not using any fancy program. There's no glitz. Peter isn't doing any, you know, stage magic. The preacher doesn't have to be, you know, covered in sparklers and flying around the church on wires. I mean, you know, you don't need smoke machines. You don't have to be clever. You just need to tell the gospel. It's the gospel that's the power of God. That's all. It's simple. Peter didn't even have a special message, just the gospel. He's like, well, let me tell you what Jesus did. And while he's preaching, he doesn't even finish his sermon. He doesn't even get through the whole thing. Verse 44, while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all those who heard the message. And the circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. For they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God and Peter said, can anyone keep these people from being baptized with water? They've received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. There was the day of Pentecost that came upon the Jewish believers in Jerusalem, and now there is a Gentile Pentecost as the Holy Spirit is poured out, showing that now the Gentiles are part of the people of God. Because to be God's people today, the thing that has to mark you it's faith in Jesus and the presence of the Holy Spirit, period. It's not circumcision. It's not food laws. It's not any of that stuff. All of that stuff has been fulfilled and completed in Christ. 
The mark of God's people today is the presence of the Holy Spirit and faith in Jesus. And so Peter says, well, let's baptize these guys. They're speaking in tongues just like we did at Pentecost. It's a second Pentecost, actually a third, because there was a Samaritan Pentecost too in chapter 8. So God is moving the gospel out. In every one of these major watershed moments, he's marking it with a kind of Pentecost experience, and now for the Gentiles too. And so now anyone can come to God. Anyone, the door's open through faith in Jesus, and God accepts them, Jew or Gentile, doesn't matter. You know, Irish or Italian, you're both welcome. Liberal, conservative, Cohasset, Quincy, you're all welcome. Pats fans, Giants fans, anyone's welcome who has faith in Christ. Hutus and Tutsis, North Korean and South Korean, Russian and Ukrainian, Sunnis and Shias, through faith in Christ, the walls between us and God and one another can come down. The gospel is God's answer to racism. The gospel is God's answer to strife and division. The gospel is God's answer to the sinful walls that divide people because we can't be reconciled to each other until we're reconciled to God. But when I'm reconciled to God and so are you, what could there possibly be between us that's more powerful than our union in Christ? Well, Peter had to be converted. Cornelius and his cronies are converted. There's one more conversion. I'll just touch on this super quick. Chapter 11. I won't even really read it. The church has to be converted. They have to get on board with this. So chapter 11, verse 1, the apostles and brothers throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles had received the word of the Lord. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the the circumcised believers criticized him and said, you went into the house of uncircumcised men and ate with them. These guys hadn't had the vision yet of the sheet. They didn't know that everything had changed. They're bothered that Peter broke basic Jewish practice. So Peter begins to tell the story, and I'm not going to read the story. Basically, from chapter, uh, verse 4 all the way down to chapter 17, it's a, a, almost, in some cases, a word-for-word retelling of everything we just read in chapter 10. So I'll spare you the rereading of it. You can read on your own. But he tells them the story, and look how they respond. Look at verse 18. When they heard this, when they heard all that had happened, they had no further objections, and they praised God, saying, so then, God has granted even the Gentiles repentance unto life. God has granted even the Gentiles repentance unto life. What a great sentence, even the Gentiles. And that's why I meant that this, this wall is still falling today because even in the world today, God is still granting repentance unto life to the Gentiles. It's not like he did it with Cornelius and he was like, well, that's good. We've got a few token Gentiles for the kingdom of God. No, no, no. That was the beginning. The gospel is going to go into Italy and it's going to go up into Europe Eventually, my ancestors, my Gentile ancestors, the, you know, the Vikings and the Germanic hordes, they, they would get converted, and, and then the gospel would go east into Asia and south into Africa, and it's spreading all over the world. It's still happening. And you know, there are still people today who've never heard the good, name, good news of Jesus Christ. This has not finished yet. God is still bringing repentance to the Gentiles today. We don't call them the Gentiles. Well, you know what we call this today? We call it missions. But that's all missions is. It's the continuing spread of the news about Jesus to the nations as people repent. And there's people who still haven't heard. One of the the people groups that that we pray for in our church um, that we've kind of, I don't know, adopted 
Uh, we've sort of been concerned about them as a, a group of people in northeastern Africa that we call the Bella people. And there are people with almost no Christians among them, uh, no, no churches, no Bible in their language, and we're praying for them. And, you know, how, Lord, you've got to grant them repentance, so you've got to tell them about Jesus. Hey, hey, if it came to the Norwegians and the Germans, why shouldn't it come to the Bella people? They need to hear the gospel too. All the nations, all the Gentiles. And so, Lord, would you reach them? It was really cool. In uh, November, Pastor Seth and his wife uh, traveled to Egypt, and they got to meet some missionaries who are working with Bella people who've come into southern Egypt. And Seth got to, like, meet some Bella people. It's amazing. The doors are open these days in different ways, in different places. Am I praising God, as it says in verse 18, that God is still granting repentance to the Gentiles? Is there a place in my heart that's excited and a little bit fired up about, the, about missions and about the gospel going to all peoples? Or, or is my Christian life like kind of small and insular? You know, it's, it's sort of like I don't get excited about much more than just, you know, my church or my Bible study or my little program or my little event or, you know, my thing. You know, my, my pleasures, my fun, my friends. Or, or is there also a part of me that's excited for what God is doing in all the nations? Is there some, some sense in which I'm, I feel connected to that and I'm praying for that? Is our heart the same size as God's heart? Are we growing in love for the gospel to all nations? Do we have a fire for missions as a church? And I don't mean do we have a missions committee. I mean, glad we do. But this is bigger than a missions committee. This is our hearts being excited still for the gospel to go to all peoples. Oh, may God use us to be people with no walls in our hearts whom God can use to bring the gospel maybe to the guy or the woman next to you at work, maybe the the kid at the lunch table who's a total loser. Nobody eats with them. And if you go sit with them, everyone's going to think, whatever, are you willing to cross those lines? Maybe God would use us to plant a church on the South Shore. Maybe... Maybe the nations, maybe the Bella people, maybe people we've never even heard of. For this gospel must be preached to all nations as a testimony to all peoples, and then the end will come. Let's pray. O oh Lord Jesus, we pray that with your mighty power, you would continue to pulverize the walls. O oh Lord Jesus, thank you that you've taken down the wall between God and us through your death on the cross and resurrection. O oh Lord, I pray that everyone here, everyone in this room, including myself, would lay hold of Jesus by faith. O oh God, I pray that you would tear down walls in our church. If there are any walls of, of ethnicity or, or class or socioeconomic status or age or married and single or whatever, God, just destroy those walls. Give us unity in Christ. Oh God, destroy the walls in our hearts that keep us from being concerned for lost people, for people who need to know Jesus. Lord, help us not to forget that we were lost and have been found by your grace. Lord, use us as the very instruments of your grace. Oh God, give us a heart for the nations. Help us, Lord, to be concerned for people who's never heard the gospel. Lord, give us a vision beyond New England to the ends of the earth that, Lord, this gospel may go forward to all nations, that you might return in glory as the king with a people collected from yourself from every tribe and nation. 
We pray this all through your mighty name, Jesus, because we know you will get it done. In Christ's name we pray, amen.